0: Hello everybody, it's Leslie Jane Seymour and I'm here for Reinvent Yourself and welcome. Wow, I have to tell you, I'm so excited about our interview today with Barb Paldus, who's the founder of Codex Beauty. And the reason why I'm really excited about this is Barb came to our Savannah event as our main sponsor and we had to do an interview together that was what we decided to do to let, let people know who she was and what it was and you know my history I have had a thousand interviews with a thousand people I researched her I got some good questions um, we had about 40 women in the room um, and we were sitting there to talk about how to read a uh, beauty label and um, I'm doing my usual thing and she's charming and she's lovely and we're talking about how do you, you know, what are the bad ingredients? What are the good ingredients? And then she launches into her history of growing up a really around the world with parents who were famous scientists and how, you know, she was expected to be a scientist because that's what her parents were and how she was, you know, chased around the table by with a, a famous scientist in a mask, you know, making her as a little kid, like trying to like, Go boo and scare her, but she had no idea that this was like a you know famous famous scientist who she was playing games with. And um, then she talked about her company, which is she sold bought and sold many companies. She has nine patents. She was involved with helping making equipment that works for vaccines and um, is helped you know helped with with the Ebola crisis. I can't even get this right because it's so technical. And she's out in Silicon Valley. And as I'm interviewing her and you're watching the faces of people around the room, we're like, oh my God, like she is going to turn the beauty industry on its ear. Everything she makes is completely sustainable from the plastic, which is made from sugar cane, to every product um, that she makes. Um, We laugh about it and say, if you were stuck on a desert island, you could have one of her products because it could save you, it could keep you from getting... Uh, sunburn, and you could eat it at the same time. Um, and she's actually revolutionizing the beauty industry because one of the ingredients that has been used, even in um, you know, products that are considered to be natural, is a petroleum-based product. And it was causing all kinds of issues for her son, and that's how she sort of dug it out, and she created a new preservative that is not petroleum-based that she's going to be offering to all these big giant companies because she thinks it's so important for the world. Everything she does is sustainable and she has a zero carbon footprint for all of these products she's making. And she's literally just, absolutely going to turn the industry on its ear because she is offering up this preservative system to all the big companies out there. So as we were leaving the event, a bunch of people turned to me and they were like, oh, my God, she's amazing. And one woman turned to me and she goes, impossible burger. So anyway, I was blown away by Barb. I said to Barb and her team, we have to be part of whatever you're doing. This is so perfect for Covey. This is what we're about, planning for the future for our kids. Still having wonderful beauty products, we have those issues, we need your help. And she's just an amazing mom uh, at the same time. She was running home from the conference to, to be with her son and work with him closely. Um, she does homework with him at night over uh, the computer and we just totally, absolutely bonded. So anyway, I am so excited to bring to you Barb Paldis, who's the founder of Codex Beauty. And I'll tell you, they are our first sponsor. So I would have done this interview with her anyway, because she's absolutely going to set the beauty industry on fire. And I am just so happy to introduce you to her. And here she is. So welcome, Barb. How are you? I'm so glad to talk to you again. Doing well. Uh, Good morning, Leslie. Great to have this opportunity. And I was just telling Barb that she was the hit of Savannah. Um, We had a long talk there about how to read a beauty label. And everybody loved your discussion. So I'm really excited that we get to go into your history, because everybody was so surprised by it, and your personal reinvention. And then we'll talk about tips and tricks at the end. So let's talk about it. Thank you. Great. Let's talk about where you were raised, which is in Canada and Europe, and how your father, who was a professor of applied mathematics and chemistry, influenced your trajectory into science.
1: So I was born in Waterloo, Canada, actually Kitchener, which is the neighboring sister city in 1971. And when I was a young child, pretty much almost immediately, we ended up spending a year in France, then we came back to Canada, then we went back to Holland, then we went back to Canada, then we went back to France, then we went back to Canada, then we went back to Germany. So I've, uh, I've kind of gone between Europe and Canada pretty much from the age of zero through the age of 18 um, when I started college, actually started college at 16 at the University of Waterloo. And um, after that, you know, I had a college program, so I couldn't go back to Europe. And it was an amazing experience because my parents would just throw me into school with a completely different language and say deal. And being a child, children learn languages very quickly. It was actually amazing how quickly um, I became fluent and started soaking up the culture. And to this day, I really thank my parents for that experience because it made the world a much smaller and less scarier place. Um, My dad is a world-renowned scientist, as you mentioned, in applied math, quantum chemistry. He kind of calculates chemical bonds and the structure of chemical molecules. And so I grew up basically assuming that academia was going to always be my path forward, um, especially more theoretical academia. I ended up with a degree in applied mathematics and electrical engineering from Waterloo before I came to Stanford to do my master's and PhD. And so I always assumed I would do an academic route until I came to Silicon Valley. Um, And why did I become an engineer? Part of it is I love making things and building things. That was a very part of it and figuring things out too and taking them apart. But also my mother um, had been a medical doctor in the Czech Republic. My parents immigrated in 1968. And um, my mother actually, since we're talking about reinvention, really wanted to practice but wasn't allowed to practice in Canada would have had to spend go back to school and spend three years up in the northern territories practicing among the natives up there in order to come back and become a medical doctor again in Canada at that time they didn't really want dental surgeons and dentists from other countries and so uh, she didn't have the opportunity she ended up having to become a librarian and so I was always terrified that a medical or legal degree would limit me from an international perspective and that was the other reason I became an engineer because the degree is very, very portable. So those were, I would say, the two most important influential factors on my life and that's kind of how I ended up doing what I've been doing and becoming an entrepreneur And because when I hit Silicon Valley, I fell in love with the HP way, the whole concept of Hewlett and Packard. Apple had been started, you know, it was just the transformation was amazing. And when I finished grad school, it was really in the middle of the internet revolution. And so um, my professor and I, we wanted to be a part of that. And that's how I ended up starting my first company. And that really set me down the path that I've been following for the last, gosh, 20 years.
0: Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you said your household was filled with all these famous scientists and chemists and all that. And they were hanging with you and your family, but you didn't really understand sort of the depth and sort of notoriety of all that?
1: Yeah, well, what I didn't realize was, for example, you know, that my father had worked with Hertzberg, who was a Nobel Prize winning chemist in Ottawa, and that we would go to Ottawa and I would basically, he'd be chasing me around with the you know, a Pacific Northwest Indian mask, and I thought this was hysterical, and I had absolutely no idea that, you know, he had won a Nobel Prize. He was just this super nice old gentleman with a German accent that was part of the family circle. Um, I didn't realize, you know, until I was 16 that my dad knew Richard Feynman. I mean, you know, and, and the list goes on, especially in Europe. You know, when I was in my early 20s, my dad said, hey, you know, let's uh, come over to Prague, I have a surprise. And it was a surprise birthday party for Markle, you know, who's the German chancellor. And it was just kind of like, dad, who are you? So, so yes, um, there, was, there was a constant stream of surprises from my parents.
0: Can you talk a little bit about this quote that you gave a while back where you said, I never looked back, nothing is, this is when you um, studied electrical engineering at uh, the university. I never looked back. Nothing is more rewarding than innovation and seeing it work, especially when it can improve the human condition. And I know you've talked about making health treatments more available to kids with muscular dystrophy as a high point in your career. Can you explain to us what that was that you did?
1: Sure. So in my first career um, at Picaro, which was the first company that I founded right out of graduate school, uh, based on the cavity ring down spectroscopy technique, and all that is really is a way to measure really trace amounts of things like gases in the atmosphere, um, down to parts per trillion levels, um, or to measure existing kind of ranges of things, say like carbon dioxide, which we all care about, and methane, the greenhouse gases with very, very high precision. Um, That allowed us to really start moving that technology and also isotopes like carbon-13, carbon-12 as markers into the mainstream. And because the technology was robust, way more robust than your traditional method of mass spectrometry, you could start taking it into forests. You could start taking it onto boats. You could pack it even more, most recently onto Mount Everest and measure ice cores. And so what that allowed us to do was really start tracking the greenhouse gases and how they're impacting the planet in all different parts of the planet, from the rainforests to the deserts to the high mountaintops to the oceans. And that actually was back you know, in the late 90s where we started that company. So it's been tracking greenhouse gases for almost two decades now and producing data that I believe will be critical for us as a species and making decisions about our emissions, about the actual warming of the planet and where we are, basically giving ourselves as a species a report card on how we're treating the planet and what we need to do. So that was kind of my first remark. My second company, uh, which I sold at Thermo Fisher, um, which was Finesse Solutions, we made equipment for making uh, cancer treatments, for making vaccines, um, and down the, you know, at the very end before I sold it for personalized medicine. And those were, in fact, um, what you mentioned, some of our applications. And my biggest moment was, well, there were actually two, was one when Janssen was able to produce the first Ebola vaccine in our equipment, that to me was like a big, big changeover today. And and that equipment is now ubiquitous in the world. It's with many, many of the vaccine manufacturers. So as we're looking at the coronavirus, we're looking at rapid production of vaccines for um, things like the COVID-19 and scaling up. I know my technology is there, so I feel really good about that. Um, But also we worked with Bamboo Therapeutics, now part of Pfizer, um, and we were able to do an accelerated deployment so we could, in fact, enable a clinical trial of 60 kids and 60 families. And many of those, um, they basically stalled the, uh, the degeneration, the muscular degeneration of those kids. And that was, that was just amazing to get the letters from the families and to see the kids and pictures of the kids. We were, we were all in the lunchroom crying that day.
0: That's amazing. Incredible. And so your technology is helping with coronavirus at this point, for what you know? It's basically production technology
1: for manufacturing vaccines. As we know, um, a lot of vaccines used to be egg-based. So basically, people would inject the virus into eggs and then harvest it. And sometimes it would be live-activated virus. Sometimes they would basically, it would be inactivated. They would kill it. Um, In the case of our equipment, you can grow this in um, cells, and so it's a much faster production process, and also for people with allergies to eggs, it makes the vaccine accessible. And so this technology is used to produce vaccines in general worldwide, you know, everything from animal vaccines to um, high-volume kids vaccines, you know, like the MMR um, that you administer. It's kind of one of the first vaccines a child gets. And so that technology is available once they basically map the gene vector and figure out how, which cell to produce it in and how to transfect it, our technology would be used in the amplification and the production um, of those vaccines. And it, it's right there and we know it works. So it's just a matter of the scientists doing their part um, to make sure that the vaccine is in fact effective and the right vaccine against the right strain of the virus.
0: Wow. Let's talk about your transition into beauty, the beauty business. I know, a
1: hard transition. Hard transition.
0: (laughs) So let's talk starting um, with the name of your product, Codex. Um, People won't know what that means, but it actually has a a long historical meaning for you. Um, Start with that, and let's talk about how you made that transition and why. Absolutely. So um, Codex
1: means a bound book. Um, and we've used bound books for communicating information since really the turn of the millennium um, at zero during the time of Julius Caesar, through the Middle Ages, through the Renaissance, into the Age of Enlightenment, and all the way through about 2000 where the internet really picked up and has become now today our digital mainstream version of the book. And so if you look at the transmission of scientific knowledge, math, literature, history, Um, education. uh, A lot of us, you know, a lot of my generation grew up with textbooks in the class, things that you lugged back and forth for the first 18 years, um, things that you read at night under the bed to, you know, learn more about yourself and humanity. So books have basically been a part of at least our generation's lifetime for the transmission of knowledge. And the reason that I named Codex after a bound book was because a large part of our mandate is not just Changing the preservative systems, it's not improving the packaging for sustainability, it's really not bringing specifications so that people really understand what's in their skincare, but to transmit knowledge. So, what I wanted to do was recreate that experience, but for skincare, because there really is so little scientific information out there, there's a lot of misinformation. Um, There are a few people who are now trying to address that. You know, um, there are some organizations that are trying to address you know, how to really set some standards for the skincare industry. Um, And there's just a lot out there that people don't understand that needs to be explained. Um, In addition, obviously, we want to develop products that meet the standards and bring specifications into the industry, which I think are fundamentally missing.
0: Do you want to talk a little bit about you got into the beauty business because of your son? Can you talk about that? Because a lot of women actually end up making businesses based on family issues.
1: Absolutely. So um, I had started FNAF back in 2005. My son was born in 2009. I spent many, many years of his early childhood traveling. So at one point, I even had three nannies. Um, And it turns out he was diagnosed with ADHD. And uh, so at some point, I had to make the very hard decision that I know a lot of female entrepreneurs make, you know, when he was about uh, seven, that I needed to spend a lot more time with him. And so I decided to sell my company. And even though it was growing very quickly and really dominating in its, in its niche space, um, we ended up selling in 2017 to Thermo Fisher. Um, I spent about uh, 15 months transitioning the business and integrating the business into Thermo Fisher. And then I left in order to spend more time with my son and be there because I'd been traveling three weeks out of each month, which was not a sustainable proposition with a young child. Um, And so what motivated me to go into beauty then was when he was born, he had a severe allergy that it turned out to be to phenoxyethanol, which is a very common preservative system that is used um, in many natural beauty products. And so I thought, oh my gosh, you know, natural, you know, high prices it must be good nothing but the best for my baby right we all think like that for our kids and when he blistered and turned red and the skin started peeling i i was going out of my mind and it took me about three years to figure out um, through cross hatching running around the world buying products to skin patch test on him, which at the time i didn't know was called patch testing and just to make sure that i could find things that he wasn't allergic to Um, And then starting to do little spreadsheets of all these ingredients, because I'm an engineer after all, and then really isolating the one ingredient that he was allergic to, and then wondering why on earth the industry used this. And so when I was finishing up at Thermo Fisher, I started reading up about phenoxyethanol, about preservative systems, how they're all derived from uh, fossil fuels and basically petrochemicals, wondering. You know, if that could also be causing some of the issues that we're seeing with increased skin sensitization, you know, reading a lot about this raging debate about parabens, you know, are they good? Are they bad? Is it the longer chain, the shorter chain? You know, reading a lot of the European studies uh, from the SCCS. you know, they're very boring, tedious, long um, reports, but I figured it was really important to read all of that and to finally basically saying, well, why has there really been no innovation? in this area. And then going back to all my friends in biotech who ran the specialty chemical groups at companies like Lanza or DSM, and saying, well, why, you know, why on earth hasn't there been any
0: innovation
1: in preservatives? And the common answer was, well, there was innovation. It was back in the 60s. Um, but then everybody wanted to really eke out profits. And um, when there was the huge kind of blow up about parabens and phthalates, we ended up going to phenoxyethanol because it was still fairly effective. And at the time, there were really no known bad effects of that. And so, um, you know, we did some studies and that's how we set the limits. And that's what we've been using. And it's been incredibly successful. And there's now over $150 million of phenoxyethanol sold worldwide. And look, behold, it's in everything from our, you know, gum to our household cleaners to fragrances because it makes things smell nicer um, to basically, obviously, all kinds of skincare products. And Um, That's when I started wondering about skin exposure and dermal absorption factors, and to be honest, Leslie, I still don't have answers to a lot of these questions, and so that's when I decided, well, since nobody can really answer some of these things with accurate scientific proof, why not just innovate? Why why not go back to the Silicon Valley model? if, if If there isn't a good solution, create one. And that's where we said, well, can an edible preservative system be created? And again, my friends in this industry said no. Um, well, if, we would have, if, if you could do it, we would have already done it. And when I asked, well, how much money and time are you actually investing in this? The answer came back to essentially zero. Uh, we're constrained by profitability. We're constrained by all these things. So we take the preservatives we know and we mix them together to make new combinations. And it was like, yeah, but new combinations of old things. And that's where we basically decided to spend a year and a ridiculous amount of money. And we invented an edible preservative system. So it's actually a preservative system that is safe to eat where every single ingredient is grass-rated. And basically the the main preservative is potassium sorbate, which is used in food and which, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people eat every day safely. And then we added um, what I would call kind of from biotech, enhancers, such as lactobacillus ferment, which is essentially yogurt, um, fermented coconut, and then what in vaccines and biotech is called an adjuvant, basically you can think of it as a booster, like it supercharges all the other ingredients, and that would be the propane dial, which is a corn ferment. So three plant ferments and potassium sorbate, which is a salt, and lo and behold, the preservative works as effectively as any of these petrochemical-based preservatives that have been around. We've obviously filed patents for this. Um, and we want to make it available to the industry. So we're telling the industry we're going to license this because that's the only way we're going to enact change. Um, are you wondering why I'm building a business if so that's something I'm giving away? Well, um, we have other intellectual property um, in terms of the specific formulations and some of the ethnobotany that we're doing. We're going to be getting into genetics. So there's many other aspects of the business where we will have again um, IP. And but. To me, this preservative thing because of my son was fundamental. So as I'm telling other brands, we'll work with you. Um, You know, we can find ways so that you don't feel like we're competing with you, but we will help enable you with this new preservative system.
0: Wow. Spell the name of the bad item because everybody came after me after your last talk. They were like, what was the name of it again? Because everybody wanted to know they were looking on all their products and it is indeed there. Just can you yeah, say and it clearly it's, it's so we have it?
1: Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, spelled P-H-E-N-O-X-Y-E-T-H-A-N-O-L.
0: Okay. That was the problem. Everybody was like, which one was it? But it's in everything if we look at it, and it's not in codex. So talk a little bit about what the Codex products are and where you're headed with it and um, what you hope for it. Because I love the products. I've been using them. They're great. And as Diane, your PR person, said, which I thought was genius, she said, if you could, you know, it's a good question of if you could be stuck on a desert island with only one product, what would it be? And she said it could be this because it acts as sunscreen and you can eat it if you get stuck. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's true. You could eat it. Um, probably the facial oil would taste the best. Um, but everything else, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, you, you can see the ferment in there. I mean, the, the ferments are pretty potent things. And so you would taste ferment. So yeah, I don't think you'd get drunk because there's no alcohol in our products, but unfortunately, you know, that might help you get through the desert Island experience, but, uh, you certainly wouldn't starve. Um, so um, what we wanted to do was actually go back to ethnobotany and start looking at uh, what are the typical skin problems or skin needs that need to be solved. and so and then create a set of collections to address those different needs, so that people could then come and pick and choose based on their own individual needs um, from the collections and almost create you know you can think of it as you could create your own routine that would solve your specific issues or address your specific needs. And so our first collection uh, was launched last year. Um, It's based on Irish herbal medicine. So Ireland has a very, very rich history um, dated back to 700 AD. So about 1,300 years um, of herbal medicine, which was also documented after about the 13th century in scrolls, not quite codices, and then eventually in books and codices. Um, where they addressed everything from gout to um, typical problems with Irish weather, which had to do with it being rainy, windy, cold. So, dry skin, skin needing nourishment, and skin needing hydration, and also protecting skin against the elements. So, protecting the transepidermal water loss part of the skin for the skin barrier to giving you a healthy skin barrier. So, uh, when we talked to our chief medical officer, who's a dermatologist, she said, Yeah. Um, cleansing, hydration, and nourishment of skin, those are the three most fundamental things you do. And if you add sleep, good nutrition, exercise, and good hydration, which are kind of the ingestible things you can do for yourself and, you know, general things you do for your health anyway, she goes with those three functions. So basically cleaning your skin without stripping it, nourishing it with the right minerals and vitamins, and um, then basically hydrating it and keeping the hydration locked in that will basically take you 80% of the way. Everything else then is individual and specialized other than sun exposure and urban pollution. And I'll get back to that. Um, So BIA, which means food in Gaelic, was our first line. Uh, We now have six products with four more launching this year to kind of round out the line. Um, It's our entry-level line. And basically the wash is a non-stripping, hydrating, exfoliating wash that you can use every day. The day cream has a serrated rack Uh, which is a seaweed which is very rich in minerals as well as hyaluronic acid in it for your daily morning hydration. Um, The facial oil gives you additional hydration in addition to oil control, sebum control uh, for people with oily skin or for people with very dry skin. It's a very interesting product um, in that it has a very dry – it's based on kiwi oil, which is very dry, but it also has um, ingredients. It has some of the seaweeds again and bog myrtles, which has some very interesting skin regenerative properties. Um, that's one of my favorite products. It also won an Oprah award. Um, then we have the eye gel, which has uh, Arnica and another seaweed in it. And that basically depuffs puffs and helps you with kind of, if you haven't slept with puffy eyes and black circles under your eyes, it basically helps the the water basically escape so you don't have that puffy look. and A lot of us keep that in our fridge um, for kind of that extra soothing um, in the morning when you've either been working or you have a baby and you want to look good, but your eyes feel like they're going to pop out of their sockets and are burning. Um, And then we have the superfood, which is my favorite. Um, And that's basically has a combination of five different ingredients in it. And that's the one that I use for treating sunburns on my son that I personally use as a night cream. When the cat scratches me or I get an oven burn, helps accelerate my healing. Um, that's kind of our, I would say, absolute hero product um, that is based on traditional ingredients such as comfrey, which was used in Ireland for bone regeneration and stimulates cell regrowth uh, by tricolor that um, basically locks in moisture. So it's been made from five different um, plant ingredients, and I would really suggest the readers go and read up on this on our website, um, that basically moisturize, lock in moisture, help accelerate healing, and together really form a neat cream that you can mix with other things like the oil to make a really, really rich hydrating night cream. You can use by yourself. You can use before skiing, after skiing, before beach, after beach, and it's just a general all-purpose great cream. And then we now introduced in January, the wash off um, cleansing oil, which is for makeup removal. So again, based on borage and black currant. So it will not strip your skin. It will remove the makeup while hydrating and nourishing your skin. And so that's very exciting. And then we have some more products we're hoping to launch in May in the line. We have a second collection. I mentioned urban pollution coming in September and that's based on novel ingredients from Patagonia and what we're trying to do there is really attack reactive oxidative stress which is a primary mechanism of skin aging and to really find a way to tame that so that people living in cities people exposed to a lot of you know computer light during the day um, people exposed to pollution everything from dust particles to emissions from cars um, can basically protect their skin for the day and then help their skin recover at night
0: Wow. Oh, awesome. And everything, also your packaging is completely sustainable, correct? You created, it looks like plastic, but it's not.
1: Correct. So it is actually plastic, but bio-based plastic. So the vast majority of plastics you see in this industry are made from fossil fuel. So they're basically a petrochemical process by which people make a compound called ethanol. And then that ethanol is turned into plastic called um, polyethylene, and there's different kinds of polyethylene um, that are used in making the tubes we see, the pumps, you know, either hard plastics or soft plastics that are on the shelves everywhere. Um, and glass actually has a fairly high carbon footprint, so glass is not quite as environmentally friendly as we think, and it's not recycled as often as we think it is. So glass is not the solution. Um, so the reason we turn to bio-based plastics is the plastic is derived from sugar cane. So the sugarcane is grown, um, it's basically then fermented into bioethanol, and then the same processes used to create plastic are used, but it is fully recyclable, and then the sugarcane waste, that biomass called bagasse, um, which is left behind, is actually burned to create electricity to run the plant. So the entire manufacturing of this plastic material is carbon fo- is very close to carbon footprint neutral which is really important because I actually believe that the largest threat, in addition, obviously, to all the plastic that's in the ocean, is um, the increase of greenhouse gases in the air and global warming. So I'm, I'm on the scientific camp that global warming is real and we need to start making some very serious changes. And so we wanted to use, uh, first of all, a container that was lightweight. Um, plastic is the most lightweight container you will get because don't forget, after they're manufactured the products have to be transported to the point of distribution so you want that done and not use again very much petrochemical fuel and we're so dependent on petrochemicals these days that you can think of it as you know fossil fuels are used to make the plastic fossil fuels are used to transport the plastic and so the lighter it is um, the less fuel is needed to transport the same amount of material and also Um, If it's airless, then you're creating, so we have airless packaging made out of this, molded out of this plastic that basically prevents the product from being contaminated from our own fingers and from the environment. And that's important because that allows us to use this natural edible preservative system, um, which is safer for the customer. Um, but basically it also doesn't, it prevents contamination. So it extends the shelf life of the product. You can think of a jar where you stick your finger in, you know, yeah, we get the little spoon with the jar, but I'm just as bad as everybody else that at some point you, you need to get that product out. You stick your finger in there. And from that point on, you know, your microbiome is living happily in that jar. Um, So we wanted to prevent that and also be able to allow people to extract every last bit of product. And with this airless pump technology, you can basically get down to a tiny, tiny fraction. You know, I can say 50 um, microliters of product from, you know, 50 milliliters of product. So it's basically 0.1%. You, you get, you, you virtually extract all the product out of there. So again, you're not leaving product behind um, in the container, which also makes it much more easy to recycle. And so it's fully recyclable. It goes into the existing recycling chains that we have. You'll see the little recycling mark on the packaging. Um, So to me, it was really important to close that entire loop because if I look at the industry, there's so many points at which the products fall off that closed loop um, that their carbon footprint is actually far more than we think it is. And as we grow in volume, every one of our tubes reduces carbon footprint by 80%. Um, over a competing product, which is significant. You start adding up millions of those things and now you're offsetting millions of cars. And so to me, that was really, really important because it's a way by which the beauty industry can start having an impact on the planet.
0: Are you sharing that technology also? Or is everybody already aware of the plastic from sugarcane, but they're just not using it?
1: People are aware of it. Um, But actually we have an awareness campaign that we're going to be putting together uh, to launch on Earth Day. Um, And we'll be able to share more of that with you, Leslie, as we get closer to having it done. But we really want to get the message out there. We really want to encourage the industry to start adopting this technology. Um, We've been partnered with a company out of Brazil. They're a phenomenal company. They're called Vista, W-I-S-T-A. We've been sharing that with the industry. Um, They're trying to figure out how to make the technology more accessible. Um, But it's really something that I think the beauty industry needs to consider in a much more serious way than it has. There's a lot of greenwashing out there right now.
0: Yes, I'm aware of the greenwashing. Now, as we move into a close here, Barb, talk a little bit about are there three tips you might be able to give that are practical to people who might want to reinvent into the beauty business? They're probably not coming from your heavy scientific background, but what would you tell a girlfriend? Like, hey, don't do this or here are the things you need to know. So many women are trying to reinvent the same way.
1: Absolutely. So the first thing I would say is spend the time to educate yourself. Um, once you're actually running that company, you're going to not have very much time. So spend a good six months, go to trade shows, talk to people, read, 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 and read more. Do your research, find your facts, um, and become an expert. I think that is absolutely critical. So that would be advice piece number one. Um, number two is really understand what it's going to take. I know there's a lot of indie companies that Um, start out in their kitchen. Um, There was a mass, you know, influx of CBD products. Um, There was an article that just came out today, how the British Food and Safety Agency is now starting to really crack down hard on a lot of indie brands. So I would say, understand the regulatory and safety aspects. Um, Don't go out there, don't put out a product just because you want to put out a product. Really, really, you know, be mindful of consumer safety. You know, you're selling to your friends, you're selling to their kids, Um, be ethical and do the right thing. And thirdly, I would say, um, really understand what it's going to take. So I thought, I mean, again, then this is going to sound horrible, but I thought coming from the tech world, coming from the biotech world, where we did have heavy regulatory, we did have all this stuff that oh my gosh the beauty industry is going to be easy squeezy you create the best high-tech product you can and everybody's going to run and want to buy it Um, well that's not the case and um, I've been working very very hard to get the messaging out and so I would say understand the customer need understand the channel and don't underestimate how long it's going to take and how much money it's going to take to really get the product out there and then think twice about doing that so um, what I would say is the beauty industry, Leslie, is as hard, if not harder, um, than some of these high-tech industries, because there people have specifications, and um, people basically can say, oh, my cell phone has this much battery life, it has this much memory, it has this many pixels on the camera, you know, and people can make a kind of apples to apples comparison based on price. That today does not exist in the beauty industry. And so everybody needs to be who's starting a business and it has to be aware of that because right now it's all about marketing. It's one of the things that we're trying to change. We're trying to actually convert it into a performance-based industry. But as I've now realized, you know, that's a five, to five year to 10 years. So this is going to be the next decade of my life. So this is truly going to be as much a labor of love as the environmental monitoring was and as the um, vaccines and biotech was. And so I would just say, think through the market, think through your channel, and then also decide what impact you wanna have and scale everything to that impact. You know, if you wanna have a small impact, it'll be a lot easier. If you wanna have a big impact, don't underestimate how hard it's gonna be. So those would be my three things. Educate, um, basically really focus on consumer safety and regulatory, and then um, make a plan that you can handle.
0: And it's basically the big limiting factor you're saying in beauty is that it's so unregulated and that it's just unwieldy and freewheeling. Is that the basic exactly. issue? Exactly.
1: It's the wild, wild west.
0: It okay. is truly
1: the wild, wild west of industry.
0: And of industry. Every
1: specific uh, Beauty, it's a, at least a beauty in the U.S. I wouldn't say that of necessarily beauty in Europe, but beauty in the U.S., there's there's so much misinformation there it's hiding uh, upstream awesome. so if you're going to if you're going to swim up that river make sure you've got the energy and the means to do that
0: awesome well i can't wait to see what's coming next from you guys and in in the meantime we can uh work on what you've got already and i hope everybody will give the products a try we're really excited about it so thanks so much barb and Thank you for explaining all this because people really don't know what goes into their beauty products and they really need to understand the thinking that goes behind it as well.
1: And thanks so much for the opportunity to share my story, Leslie. And for those who are interested, our website, www.codexbeauty.com has a section called chapters where you can read about everything. Also, feel free to message us if you have questions and then follow us on Instagram at Codex Beauty.
0: Good. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care. So thank you all for being here today. And I hope you enjoyed meeting Barb. I am so excited about what she's going to do to beauty and how she's going to change that beauty footprint out there. I've been in the beauty business my whole life. I love it. I can't live without my wall of products, I will be really honest. But to know that you could have that wall of products in a more sustainable way, that's really important. So her products can be found at codexbeauty.com. And I hope you'll go there and you'll give them a try. And if there are any questions that you have, what's wonderful is Barb is a lifelong lifelong learner like we are, in case you couldn't guess. And everything is explained on her site. So if you want to educate yourself more about your uh, beauty ingredients and what you're buying, it's all there spelled out. And we are just so thrilled to be a partner and you will see Codex um, partnering with us all over the place and in everything we do. And if you come to any of our events, hopefully you'll get to try some of the products there too. Thank you for being with us. If you liked Reinvent Yourself, I hope you will subscribe. And if you know of anybody, who should be on the Reinvent Yourself podcast? That you will give us some stars and um, send send them our way. So I'm always looking for somebody new to interview, and you can reach me at Leslie L e s l e y at CubbyClub.com. Thanks for being here, and see you next time.